consider tonight verse 15. And this is from the, your translation, the New American Standard. I prepared my sermon using the New King James, so if my vocabulary is a little bit different as we go along, I hope you'll be able to follow. But this is verse 15. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It's Christmas, and I'm sure that all of you have in some way been preparing for that, celebrating that, and those celebrations will include things like this, music and decorations and cards and shopping and and food preparation. And the sermon tonight is not intended to put a damper on those things, but to deepen our celebration and our understanding of, of Christmas and the, and the celebration of Jesus coming into the world. And, and I see that in the first, verse, first words of the verse, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance in other translations. It's a faithful saying worthy of full acceptance. A faithful saying. A statement here is not just a a statement, but it's a saying that's repeated. And the apostle here is talking about uh, something that was repeated often in the New Testament church between Christians. And there are other statements like this in the New Testament. Uh, One that comes to mind, for example, is that they would say on the Lord's Day, Christ is risen, and then respond with, He is risen indeed. And, And this is a statement something like that. We have statements of faith. We recited the Apostles' Creed earlier, and this is something like that, a statement, a summary statement. And he says it's faithful, and it's worthy of full acceptance. It's trustworthy, and it's worth our receiving and our using. And I think that applies to the celebration of Christmas. What do we do at Christmas time? We sing, and we listen to a lot of music, and It's telling the story of the birth of Jesus and the significance of his coming into the world. And and with those songs, we are repeating things over and over. And that's what a Christmas carol really is. And we have something like that here in this statement. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Something which is worth repeating over and over again. And let this be our song, let this be our celebration of the birth of Jesus. And I want tonight just to think through the the, the words and the ideas in the text itself, praying that God will shape, use this to shape our remembrance of the birth of Jesus. So let's consider tonight, Jesus came for sinners, three things. First, the great sinners for whom he came. Second, the, the gracious Savior that he is, and then third, the comfort that there is in this for us, the comfort and, along with that, the hope. A lot of the celebration of Christmas is a repeating of the stories of the nativity. And if you have some kind of program that includes children, certainly that'll be a part of it, Luke chapter 2, and the story 
of the birth of Jesus, that Joseph and Mary went up from Judea into Nazareth, and, and then there was no room in the inn, and she brought forth her firstborn son, and, and we, we love to tell the story. And it is a beautiful story, not just a sentimental story, but a wonderful story of God coming into the flesh, coming into the world of man as a man. And the verse that's before us tonight doesn't tell this story, but instead, behind the story, gives to us the the reason or the purpose that Jesus came into the world. There are similar statements in other verses in the New Testament about why Jesus came, and I think we'll touch on a few of those tonight. But this is really telling us the purpose of Jesus coming. And the Apostle here tells that in a a unique way, this way, in a very personal way. Not just why did Jesus come, but what in me made it necessary for Jesus to come into the world. And that's the way for us to to approach and to think about the, the text tonight. And the answer to that question, what in me made it necessary for Jesus to come, is there in the verse in that word, sinners. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And we want tonight to, at the beginning, understand what is meant by that word. But not just in an abstract and a technical way. What does the Bible say about sinners? We could answer that in an abstract, technical way. The Bible teaches that sinners, and here's the meaning of the word sinner, sinners are those who have missed the mark. They've missed the created purpose of God for them. God made man in the beginning, in his image, as the highest of all the creatures, to consciously praise him and to to love him with all his heart, mind, and strength. And the sinner is one who does not live up to the purpose for which God has created him. Because he loves himself, or he loves something else, and makes an idol of something else other than God. And And that's sin. Sin is to miss the mark of the glory of God, which is God's created purpose for us. And we know that sin came into the world because of Adam and Eve, our first parents. God set for them the standard of obedience, and he forbade them to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but they did it. They disobeyed God, and they didn't love him with a perfect heart. They fell short of the glory of God. And the result, we know, is that the entire human race is plunged into sin. And we're talking here about important biblical ideas, total depravity, original sin. And as we understand what those ideas are, we understand the universal condemnation of man, there's none righteous, no, not one, and that This makes necessary the birth of the Savior. He must come into the world for fallen humanity. And tonight, as I I express those ideas, I I know that these are not unfamiliar. You You all know what we're talking about. This is not new. But what we need to see tonight is that Paul expresses these ideas in a personal way. Not in an abstract way, Jesus came for sinners, 
but he came into the world to save sinners, he says, of whom I am foremost. It's important that we recognize that because it's possible that someone, I'll say, is familiar with the Christmas story and the necessity of God sending his son into the world even, is familiar with man's fallen state and hopelessness and that he needs a savior and is maybe even relieved to hear of the birth of the savior to deliver man, but never embraces that personally, never understands his own need of the Savior. And we, we face that danger too as we, we preach the gospel and we think about Christmas and we think about who in this world needs Jesus and we live in a fallen world that needs the gospel and we forget that we need the gospel. I need the gospel. And that's what Paul is saying here. He came for me and I am the chief the foremost of all sinners. Those are the two aspects of, of Paul's personal confession here. He came for me. You say that tonight. Jesus came into the world for me. He had to come because of me. What do we mean by that? Well, it means this, that I'm self-aware of my sin. I'm unconscious of my own need of the Savior. I don't just make this confession in the abstract. In fact, making this, this confession or this statement in the abstract is really, in the end, meaningless. If I say simply this, Jesus came into the world for sinners in some general way, I don't know that he came for me. I don't say that he came for me. Jesus did not come for all sinners. Jesus came for specific sinners, and the Bible makes clear that in the statements of Jesus himself, all that the Father has given to me, that God entrusted to his care the salvation of those whom he had loved and chosen eternally, and, and he came for them. And, and the question for us tonight is not this, does man generally need Jesus, but don't I need him? And how do I know that I'm one of those for whom he came? And really, this is the the first evidence of grace. This is the, 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 the fruit of God's choosing and loving us that we acknowledge our sin, that we see that we, are, we ourselves are desperate. I am desperately in need of the Savior. Let me put that to you tonight from another passage in Scripture in the, in the teaching of Jesus, and, and Jesus is always emphasizing in his instruction to the disciples this personal aspect. He says in Matthew 9, verse 12, and he's speaking here to the Pharisees and in response to the Pharisees who didn't think that they needed Jesus, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And he's saying there, there, there are some who, who have the attitude that others are sinners, that others might need a Savior. But they don't see their own need. And the gospel here tonight calls us to, to say personally, 
when I look at all the sinners that are there, I'm foremost of all. I'm most in need of the Savior. And then with the eye of faith to look at the Savior. Jesus, I said, emphasizes that personal aspect in his ministry. Think of uh, John chapter 8 and the woman that's caught in adultery. And these Pharisees and Jewish leaders stand around and they condemn her. And they want Jesus to condemn her. And he, he says, which of you is without sin? And he means this sin. Look at yourself. He says in Matthew chapter 7, take the beam from your own eye before you consider the sliver in your brother's eye. And that's what Paul is applying here as he thinks of Christmas. Jesus came into the world for sinners. And I, I needed him to come. And Paul expresses that here in a really, I suppose you could say, unexpected way. When he says, among whom I am foremost of all. I'm the chief of sinners. Do you say that tonight? As you think about sinners in this world. Now Paul doesn't mean here that he committed the worst kinds of deeds that could ever be committed. He's not saying, I'm the foremost of sinners, I'm the worst of sinners because I persecuted the church. If that's what Paul was saying, then we could simply dismiss this and say, well, this is with application to Paul, but I don't make this confession and I don't need to make this confession. No, there's certainly, in the history of the world, people who have committed crimes greater than what Paul was guilty of. So what's Paul saying here? He's saying this as one who knows his own sinful heart. He's saying this as one who's familiar with sin first and foremost when he looks within. He judges sinfulness not simply by the external deed, what people do, but by its source within. And he understands within himself the emptiness, the brokenness, the rebellion, the, as he calls it in Ephesians 2, the deadness, the hopelessness of his own heart. That's what he means here when he says, of whom and among whom I am foremost. That's an interesting expression, isn't it? He you might expect him to say, I was foremost. I was, but he says, I am. I still am. And he means by that that I remain in my own consciousness the foremost of sinners. And Paul, in the context, talks about his persecuting the church, doesn't he? And, and, and he says, I did it in ignorance, not there to, we could say, justify what he did or minimize what he did, but he means this, that in our state of ignorance, in our state of unbelief, this is who we are. We are haters of God. We're haters of his church. This is who we are by nature opposed to Jesus Christ and the gospel. And so we need, I need, the Savior. Do you know yourself tonight 
as foremost of sinners. Or we can put it this way. Do you understand the potential for sin in your own heart? The Bible says, Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jesus says that out of the heart proceed evil thoughts and murders and adulteries and thefts and false witnesses and blasphemies. Do you recognize that in yourself and then your need of Jesus. I'm a sinner, foremost, most prominent among sinners. We're very good at we at I'll say making it look otherwise, putting on a, a very good display. But what's going on in the heart? Calvin says that the heart is a a sin factory. In it we imagine, we lust, we fantasize, we hate, we envy, we're spiteful, we're angry. And it's frightening, isn't it, to, to look within and to see that in myself. So I need him most. That's what Paul is saying here. I need him most. How did Paul see that? Well, it was because he walked close to God. And it's as we walk in the light that we see our own darkness. So tonight, do you see that? Great sinners. But that's not the end, is it? Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And that's the beautiful message that comes to us tonight from from this passage. We we sometimes might think to ourselves, they shouldn't have a place in the church. Jesus came for sinners. And we tend to despise, or even to to look down on, on some of the we could say, socially disadvantaged in society, or people that live in some reckless way, immoral way. The gospel here is explained by Paul in in the simplest of words, simple words that we might easily overlook. Christ Jesus came into the world to save. There are two names there, Christ and Jesus, and then two activities. He came into the world, and he came into the world to save. Here's the wonderful name, Christ and Jesus. God gives his son these names. These are the titles for him in Scripture. Uh, Paul uses them here repeatedly in this chapter. Look at verse 1. An apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope. And then in the next verse again, Christ Jesus, our Lord. And we sang a little while ago about the wonderful name of Jesus. That's tonight what we who are sinners who recognize our need must see. Beautiful name, saving name, 
unique name. No other name given among men whereby we must be saved. Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. This is the name that he's called. And God shows us his name. God tells us his name so that we might know him. Think of Moses when he's called to bring Israel out of Egypt. He says, well, what, what's your name? What do I tell them? And he says, I am that I am. Jehovah, the covenant God, this is my name. And so God makes promises like this, that he will put his name upon us. He will make us to know his name. And there's wonderful relief for sinners in the name of Jesus here. Christ Jesus. The word Christ means the anointed or the Messiah, to use an Old Testament word, and it refers to the fact that Christ is the the fulfillment, the one who comes in fulfillment of all those Old Testament prophecies that were looking forward to the Messiah. He's the Messiah, Christ. And as the Messiah, he's the one who is appointed by God. He owns this name and has this name uniquely. Psalm 2, I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree that is God's eternal decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. This day I have begotten you. And the idea is that God, God in eternity, determined to send his son as the Messiah. And he's the anointed one. He's the one that came to save his people from their sins. And that's the other beautiful name here, the name Jesus. It's a more common name. It's the name that parents would give to their children, but God himself gave this name to his son as his personal name. Matthew 1 verse 21, the angel said, you shall call his name Jesus. It means that Jehovah himself is Savior. Jehovah saves. And because he was God's son. God gave him this name. And what a wonderful name for sinners. God calls his names, calls his son's name, Savior, Jesus. Do you know the name? Do you rejoice in the name? Do you find the name? Wonderful. Christ Jesus. He came into the world. We sometimes might say that uh, about when a baby's born, he came into the world on this date, but really what we're saying is he, he came from mother's womb into this physical world. When it, when it says here, Christ Jesus came into the world, it means he came from eternity. He came from the heights of glory. He came from the Godhead. He came from the eternal existence that he had as the Son of God in which he possessed all the glories of the Godhead. And Philippians 2 says he made himself of no reputation. He looked on our needs. He didn't think of the glory of the Godhead as something to, to be grasped or to, be, to hold on to, but he humbled himself. And that's the beautiful idea. He came into the world, not just his eternity, but it's this that God 
God, when he, he, he decreed or ordained a solution for man's sin, didn't do it as a, a president or a project manager from a distance, but he said, I will come myself into the world of man. I will come myself. And this is the condescension and the grace of God. He comes as God into the flesh. He came into the world. Jesus came into the world. He came into the world. The world here is, is not just this earthly creation, but the idea of world in the Bible is, is an idea of, of a system or an organization. And think of the world that he came into. Under the curse of sin and under the dominion of the devil, a, a world that was in its moral and spiritual character opposed to a system opposed to God. He came into that world. He took the curse of that world on himself. He came into the world. And this goes back, doesn't it, to the very first promise of the coming Messiah, enmity between you and the woman and your seed and her seed. And in that enmity, he would crush the head of the serpent. He came into the fallen world. Christ Jesus came into the world to save. That was his purpose in coming. There are two aspects to that. He came to, to save us from something. We've talked about what that is already, sin. He came to save us from sin. And we can think here of all the different aspects of sin, the guilt of sin, the punishment that sin deserves, the power of sin, the consequences of sin in our lives, the eternal consequences of sin, the wrath of God that sin brings on humanity, the, the death which is the necessary consequence of sin. He came into the world to save us from our sins. And now what we see is that as he comes into the world in Bethlehem, the cross is already in view because there at the cross he must remove the weight and the curse of sin. And we see that reflected in Bethlehem. There was no room for him in the inn. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes. He came to his own, and his own received him not. He came into a world that would reject him. But he came as the powerful one to conquer and to overcome that rejection. He came to save us from our sins. To save you from what your sins deserve, to save you from the power of sin, to save you from the consequences of sin. You've said, he came for me. And he came to save us unto something, and that's life with God. Hebrews 2 puts it this way, that, that in his coming he comes to bring many sons to glory. And that in bringing them to glory, he is not ashamed to be called their brother. Think of that. Christ comes into this world, and then as he, as it were, ascends to glory, he brings us with him. Colossians even says that our life is hid with God in Christ. It's there with him. That's our place. That's our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. 
and he's not ashamed of us. What's it going to be like when, when we come to heaven? Perhaps we'll be ashamed. Perhaps we'll see somebody else there and, and think, what are they doing here? And Christ is not ashamed. Not ashamed. So he brings us through forgiveness and righteousness to glory. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This comfort and this hope in the message of Christmas as we think about this this saying that's worthy of receiving and worthy of repeating. And the comfort is really there in those ideas, a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. If I would ask you, what do you think of the things that the Bible says? You would use a description, something like that, to to describe everything that's in the Bible. It's trustworthy. It's worthy of full acceptance because it's God's Word. But here, the Holy Spirit earmarks, as it were, this one statement. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And he says to us, say that. Say that over and over. Say that over and over to yourself because he knows that we need to hear that and that we need to hear that again and again. Don't you feel the guilt of your own sin? And wonder sometimes as you've fallen into sin again and again, Can I really be forgiven? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Don't you sometimes experience the brokenness of sin in your life as sins of the past have their consequences in the present or you have to deal with brokenness in in the different ways that that sin has has, has affected our existence in this world and There's brokenness in families, there's brokenness in relationships, there's brokenness in the workplace, there's brokenness in the world around us. We need this. We need to say it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Don't you find yourself weak in the face of temptation? Christ Jesus came to save sinners. Guilt and the accusations of Satan will sometimes make us wonder whether we aren't beyond the reaches of the grace of God. And then this word comes. Christ Jesus came into the world to to save sinners. And there's mercy. This is the invitation of the gospel to us tonight to to come to a merciful God who provides a savior for sinners. Don't you see the grace, the tenderness, the provision of God? This is trustworthy. This is dependable. This is worthy of repeating. This should shape our celebration 
He came for guilty and broken and weak sinners. And that's what, what Paul is, is that's, that's why Paul puts this here in this context. Because he sees what God has done in his own life, and he sees in that a pattern that's worth repeating, a testimony that's worth giving to others. Because, as he says, I'm chief of sinners and I persecuted the church. And here's the wonderful thing. Christ Jesus came for me. And he, and he says this in, in verse 16. For this reason I found mercy, that in me, as the foremost of sinners, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Paul is saying, as I preach the gospel, I'm I'm someone who's known the gospel, who's experienced the gospel. You can look at my life. You You can see the patience of God for sinners. And Paul is saying, God has done that for me so that you might see it and believe and come to Jesus. Just think of the, the guilt that must have weighed on the conscience of Paul. He, he says in another place that he's not worthy to be called an apostle. And, and the apostle experienced this, this guilt and this shame for what he had done, but I'll put it this way, he didn't stay there. The guilt and the shame of sin that he experienced led him on the road to Christ. Don't stay there. Don't stand still in in the destructiveness of the accusations of Satan. But go on to the good news that Jesus came to save sinners. And there's hope in that message too, isn't it? Because the hope is for a world of sinners. And we have a a gospel, a good news to bring to them. Jesus came for sinners. And you're going to run into them. You're going to interact with them. You're going to see them. And, and don't think that the gospel is not powerful to save. Don't think that anyone is, is beyond the reaches of the good news and the grace of God. He came to save Sinners. So let this deepen our celebration of the birth of Jesus. I'm a sinner, yes, and my conscience tells me that. And the brokenness of my life reminds me of that. And my daily failures show me that. But Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for your word for the good news of the gospel that you in mercy have come into our world in your son Jesus Christ to to remove the curse and the weight of sin, to bring us from death to life. And we're thankful, Father, that this message, this good news is repeated over and over throughout history in in the gospel and in the scriptures for for us to believe, for us to believe as we struggle with sin and with 
the accusations of the conscience. Help us, Father, to believe this word and to live in its hope. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now we respond to God's word by singing together from the Psalter hymnal, the blue book again, number 335, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. We'll sing the four verses. finish our worship tonight, we lift our praise to God, and as we do that, experience and know His blessing. And and we see those two things in these words of benediction from the book of Jude. Now, to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless, with great joy, 
To the only God our Savior, through Christ Jesus our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.